Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Edenbrook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry. I'm so excited for you to meet my dear friend, Keith Everett Smith. Keith is a multi-Grammy and Dove Award-winning producer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and a member of Toby Mac's Diversity Band. He is a sought-after session player and arranger as well. Keith has worked with artists like Jack White, the Jonas Brothers, Dolly Parton, Chicago, the B-52s, and many others. He's also played on soundtracks and scores for movies including The Lone Ranger, The Jersey Boys, and Degrassi. And he's also produced music for the 2016 People's Choice Awards. Keith has served on staff at Saddleback Church in Lake Forest, California, as well as Fellowship Bible Church in Brentwood, Tennessee, where we first met and struck up our friendship. I hope you enjoy our conversation today. All right. Hello and welcome, Mr. Keith Everett Smith. I love the middle name Everett. Me too. <laughs> you do? I'm named after my grandpa. I love it. I've always, oh, that's cool. always loved it. Actually, that's a lie. I didn't always love it. When I was real little, I didn't get it. And I've come to love and respect that I have my great-grandfather's middle name. That's awesome. Well, you and I sp- share a special connection because my last name is Keith and your first name is Keith. So that's There's a lot of Keith fun. in this room. There is a lot of Keith in this room. So you and I met about six years ago mm-hmm. at Fellowship Bible Church. And every time I have an interview with somebody, it always seems to come back to we met at Fellowship Bible Church because so many people that I know in music that do it professionally uh, or go to church there. And I owe a lot of that to you mm. because whenever my family started going there uh, about six years ago, you were the music director at the church and were phenomenal at it. And we wanted to get in and serve on the worship team. And of course we had to go audition and go through, through you to do that. And you were very kind to us and encouraging and gave us that opportunity to get in and serve in that capacity. And so uh, and just build up a friendship with you and over the years. And so that's always been awesome. I love that. And uh, it makes my heart happy. We're grateful to to have been uh, serving with you in that capacity. But that's opened up so many, so many doors. I've met so many people um, and just became friends with so many people that are in music and in the industry through that, through that, um, that avenue. And I mean, you've been doing so much music since I've known you, and you did so much before I ever knew you. Just looking over your bio recently, as we kind of prepared for this, I was like, man, like I know you play piano and you're amazing at it. I know you play trumpet, you're amazing at it. I know you produce and you're amazing at it. But I didn't realize the depth and the amount of 
work that you've done over the years and all the people that you've worked with. I was like, I was really blown away by that, just not knowing. It's like, how did I not know all this? But yeah, there was a lot I didn't know. It's been a really cool thing. You know, I like to say it's kind of a gut check for myself. I think it's maybe important that everyone has a bit of a gut check, you know, for the good days and the bad days, both. But I like to say that 15-year-old me would look at my resume, like a sliver of it, and just be so enamored like he oh, would have sure. he would have wanted to do the kind of things that I've gotten to do you know so that keeps me feeling grateful yeah, yeah that's awesome so let's talk about how you got into music to begin with as a kid what were some of the things that drew you into music at all well I think for a lot of us we had musical parents you know my dad was a worship pastor who became a pastor when I was in high school and my mom played clarinet and flute you know, in high school band. And so as a worship pastor, we had, it wasn't like worship leader like we know it now. It was like pastoring people in a choir and people in a church orchestra. And so there was music around me just all the time. My babysitter was a drum set in the sanctuary of the church, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and and so my dad's best friends played music and played trumpet and you know, I've got a two-year-old now who can already blow noise into a trumpet and runs around the house with it. And that was me. Like, my dad's best friend gave me a trumpet, and I just made noise on it. And I love to draw, but I drew musical instruments. Like, mm-hmm. you've got to know that on some level, I still do this because I just, it's something I love. You know, sure. there are, I like to tell other musicians, there's way better ways to make money right. if that's what you're into, you right. know. But if, like, you're looking for a way to be in the music industry uh, because you love it, there's ways to do that, you know. And that was me. I was just an obsessive little kid who wanted to play music, you know. Elementary school music class, which was so rudimentary, was a blast for me. That's cool. So you you started out because you had drums. Mm-hmm. I know you play drums, so that was something that you were, say, you were banging around on at church. And then you got the trumpet. Uh, did you actually take formal lessons? Things changed for me. Like I said, I had these elementary music classes where they did teach us some stuff that I carried with me. You know, we do these like clapping games, like ta, rest, ta, tt, ta, like all these right. weird things that like I took when I got a, my first method book on trumpet. You know, I saw these things that I knew, you know, mm-hmm. and my babysitter had a boyfriend why her boyfriend was allowed to come help babysit me was another another story in another era uh but um he played trumpet and i showed him that i could make noise on a trumpet and he taught me a c scale he taught me and i played it all night long and remembered it and a couple years later when someone at the church donated a trumpet I rem- and my dad gave me a method book because I was so excited about it. I went to the back of the book and circled all the fingerings that I remembered, like from a couple years before, mm-hmm. like crazy. Like I circled the things and I went to the front of the book and I knew these elementary school, you know, rhythms. And I saw that it was Mary Had a Little Lamb and I wrote the fingerings on the top of it. And I literally taught myself how to play basic trumpet by myself. Wow. You know, and then I did take formal piano lessons for about six months uh, in third grade taught me how to read bass clef, which ended up being a giant help. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, formal lessons, and then just being obsessed with it. As soon as I took piano lessons, I sat down on piano and wanted to learn how to write music. Wow. You know, I was, 
I was so nerdy. <laughs> That's really what this amounts to. You have to have some of that in you, though, to to be able to to want to do this for a living. And you meant not even that you knew that you wanted to do that for a living at that point, but all of those things are are these stepping stones that build up to that get you to where you are now. Yeah, it's the joy of it. Yeah, you know, in a real basic sense. So once you grew up as and kind of got into the college age, um, did you focus on music in college? Or did yes. you, like, what did you do that for that? You went to Liberty, right? Well, I went to Ohio State for a year and a okay. half. And that was also really good for me. Liberty's music program wasn't quite uh, that great. It's taken major strides in the last couple of years. But so having done most of my music classes at Ohio State was a really valuable thing. And then I ended up going to Liberty uh, where I graduated. And so I was music performance with an emphasis on trumpet at Ohio State. And then when I went to Liberty, I went to be a part of their worship band for the campus, the campus worship band. And so I played trumpet and then played drums quite a bit with them too. And so I had this, it was this modern worship thing and it happened to have this horn section. So like we put together a horn section. I wrote charts every week for worship songs. And, and so I wasn't officially a music major. I was a worship major. And so I actually, I finished my degree. I left a year early. I went to Saddleback Church out in California. Yeah. Uh, that's why I left college a year early. And then later on, I figured out that, man, I'm paying on a degree as if I had one, but I, on paper, it's basically as if I never went. So I decided to finish online. And so when I finally finished, they kind of made a, uh, a degree that looked like the classes I had taken. So it ended up being... Um, I think worship music with an emphasis in music technology, mm -hmm. which I didn't do too much of really while I was there, but that's kind of what it worked out to be. But I was still playing tons of music. I was playing in five services every week at the school, and um, I ended up producing a record for the school. Um, Meredith Andrews, who's a worship leader that right. many people know, yeah. um, she and I went to college together at Liberty, and I produced her very first record and, um, quote, managed her. I had no idea what I was doing, and, and you know, but, you know, we hopped up in a van with all our friends and mm -hmm. did camps and, you know, sold records. And it was one of the most charming points of my life. For okay, sure. let's talk about that for a minute because that that's interesting. And I think for people listening that are wanting to get into to doing music for a living on some aspect, whether it be uh, producing or, or managing or road managing or those types of things. So you and Meredith, you produced her first album. Like, how did you get into producing? How did you know what to do were you working on things before that like what got you into the production aspect sure i didn't know there was such a thing as a producer okay. until i got into college but in high school again someone donated a a an alesis adat machine an eight channel adat and a mackie um 24 channel mixer and i was like this stuff's kind of cool i wonder what this stuff is mm -hmm. and um so I had a couple friends who had local bands, and I just kind of took a shot at pressing record on, on them and didn't sound particularly good, but it was a fun process. I, But the, you did have things like recording magazines, I think like Mix Magazine right. and things, and um, there was this budding internet where you could, could find things after you waited for the dial-up tones. I mean, there was a time there was no internet? <laughs> there is a time there was, there was no internet time. or social media. Right. So... I started doing that and I would read these articles about compression and have just no idea what these things were. 
But what was interesting about it is I kept, you know, there's a book called Tipping Point where like the, the information you collect kind of bubbles up and all of a sudden things kind of tip over into this new level of knowledge and understanding where everything just seems random for a point. And that's what that season was. I had no idea what these articles were I would re were, was reading, but I was reading them nonetheless. And I got to Ohio State and I wrote this song. And I actually had a friend who was a radio producer. And I said, you should come produce this song. Songs have producers. And we got in. I called some friends that were in the school of music with me and got to the studio. And it's pretty cool. And we got to working. And Terry, my friend, looks over at me. And he says, I don't know really why I'm here because you're producing this. Like right now you are doing mm -hmm what I thought I was coming to do. And to me, just producer was, I guess the money guy. I don't even really know. It's, it's such a different thing from film. What I thought he was, was probably an executive producer as I've come to know it. Okay. And so he said, man, you're, you're producing this record. I went, okay. So I started to research that. And when I got to Liberty, I'd written this other song and Meredith liked it and she recorded it. And she basically said, you should, you should produce my album. And I did the whole 10 songs, I think for $1,500 is what I was supposed to make on it. And I quickly realized that wasn't very much money, you know, as a kid trying to, you know, make enough money to buy ramen noodles and things. I still <laughs> didn't have much at the end of that. And, right. But it was awesome. Sure. You know, it was cutting my teeth and it was, it was worse than maybe it should be and way better than it should have been in different ways, you know, but it was just, me going for it yeah you got to start somewhere yeah right and that you're just getting you're getting practice and you're getting stuff under your belt and and it's giving you opportunities that you don't even realize where it's going to lead down the road for you and i think maybe something I, i'm just realizing in this moment is the enthusiasm i had for music yeah. always has led what I've done. Sure. You know, when I get bored, I find a new way to tweak what I do into getting excited about it again. Or um, maybe something comes that I didn't expect working on um, a film that takes the knowledge that I have and puts it in a different context, and I get to be enthusiastic and excited about it in a different way. But right. enthusiasm has probably what's kept me here this long. Sure. Well, let's continuing on with Meredith. You said you guys jumped in a van and went and sort of did some touring, played some shows, and you were sort of managing her and didn't know what you're doing. So how did you figure that out along the way of what you're doing and how to figure out what managing is? Well, I never really figured out the management part. Ah. Uh, so <laughs> um, that to me was making cold calls. And if I had this relationship, I tried to figure out how that relationship might open up the door to another one and and so most of it was you know shows and opportunities and trying to find a way to play in front of people and you know so most of it was that I really realized later on that I didn't have as much interest in management um, I, I've always had an interest in artist development it's way more fun to me at times to try to make something great from the ground up than it is to take something that especially in the music industry where there's so much so much more than music making that has to be considered you know right. a person's career and what kind of market they're after and all these things where it's a lot more fun sometimes to take someone who 
is has a raw talent or is truly exceptional at what they do and just make something great without any confines and people will sign something that's great you know once it gets signed it may get kind of boxed into this other thing that it has to be to kind of exist within a commercial music context but leading up to that you can just make great music and people people will come alongside that sure that's cool so what brought you to nashville i came to nashville i like i said i I moved to california and i was on staff at saddleback church i ended up at saddleback because i made a enthusiastic call to the worship pastor who i met at liberty the purpose-driven conference with rick warren came to liberty and i met the team at saddleback yeah so I had produced Meredith's record. I produced a record for the school, a couple other things that I had done. And I, I called Rick Much out and I just said, Hey, I've been producing a lot of records. I'm thinking about moving to Nashville or New York or LA. I've never even been to California. I don't know if this is a good idea, but I just want to get some advice. And long story short, over many months, uh, it turned into, well, why don't you come work here? And I ended up the instrumental music director uh, on a leadership team in their creative department. And so while I was there, I kept producing. And one of the things I developed was a band called Anthem Lights, which yeah. is has a huge YouTube presence. That's yeah. kind of how they've uh, made their, their way. And so it started with a record for one guy, um, Chad. And Alan, um, who does a lot of film and stuff now, Alan and I were best friends in college. And so he and I wrote the record, I produced the record, and we we're making it for Chad. And it turned into, like, Chad had always wanted to be in a boy band. He and Alan went to high school together. And so one day, I think I just had this idea, why don't we just make this a boy band? Like, this is a really special record we're making. And so um, I went to Liberty and auditioned several guys and... It was just special. You could kind of tell that it was a very uniquely special thing. Again, if, if you're just chasing trends, boy bands were not a thing yet. You didn't have One Direction yet. Um, you know, and it'd be a, been a long time. Boy bands were already a, something to, worth making fun of, you know. But they're always cyclical. They tend to come back. And so that was my theory, was that boy bands were coming back. Um, and so I put this together. And... Again, I just started uh, on an artist development kind of management level, just started hustling, you know, making calls, trying to take the relationships I had and expand them into new relationships. And they ended up signing to Provident. And so I moved to Nashville with a reason to be here, which was really helpful. It was really nice to have a reason to be here. Some people come with, hey, I'm going to go find my way to make it and they come with no opportunities and they have to start from scratch yep. and I did in a way but I also came with a company that was starting to put me into co-writing sessions with other writers with tons of credits as and soon as you got here as soon as I got here and I had, I had no idea what I was doing uh, on the whole and so that was just a really helpful thing I also came with several records that I was already producing including uh, theirs and and so that was a really nice way to come to Nashville. Okay. But I didn't come, interestingly enough, I moved to California and to Nashville ready to put down my trumpet. I was not expecting to keep playing. I was coming here to produce and I didn't consider Nashville to be a, a town with a lot of horn sections and things. And so I just figured I'd stop playing. Right. And 
I got a call from Denver and the Mile High Orchestra yeah. about playing with them. And okay. so um, that was its own little community of horn players and things that I kind of jumped into. So, But that was an interesting thing about my move here is that I didn't expect to play my trumpet. And now that's a giant part of what I do. Yeah, that's true. So I want to talk about the artist development thing for a minute because, again, you just kind of just started doing it, kind of figuring it out. So for someone who wants to be an artist development what are some of the principal aspects of of doing that like what does that mean to be an artist development person i think developing your gut is a really important part of it developing your ability to evaluate talent and evaluate people of good character and uh, things like that it's a very gut level kind of thing is ter- in terms of finding people to develop and in the middle of things that end up, end up being successful are all these other things that you may or may not develop that may or may not pan out and you're kind of practicing the craft of mm-hmm. development in those times either way and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't or sometimes it works in a different way than you thought and so like i said uh, finding great artists and for me the non-negotiable is people with great character as well uh fame is a really dangerous thing for people and i just consider it a great responsibility to make sure i'm helping good people steward that success well right. because i've i've helped some people find success and it's uh, it's tanked them as people mm-hmm. yep. you know sure. and that's that's kind of heartbreaking yep. in the in the aftermath of that but and that's that's why i hold that as so valuable and then Beyond that, it's an exercise in taking something great and making it even greater. If there's something about a person's voice that makes them unique, you exaggerate that. Like, and exaggerate it and exaggerate it. You've got to make the things that make them stand out, stand out even more. And most people spend their artistic life trying to fit in. Trying to be... You write your first song that feels like your favorite artist and you think you've arrived and that's just step one like you've got to figure out how to how to join the ranks of those that you respect and then how to stand out from it right and most people never get to that side and that's why you find the little nuggets in artists and in people that are worth exaggerating and the way you win at artist development is to exaggerate those things and then the other side is sometimes you can take a negative thing and turn it into a positive. Limitations are wonderful breeding grounds for opportunity. You know, deciding to produce a song and only using 16 tracks means those 16 tracks are very important. And so limitations can be a, a wonderful opportunity for successes. And so in artist development, you can use that too. Someone who doesn't uh, consider themselves much of a singer, their voice, their voice is more talky. Mm-hmm. You know, they may consider that a limitation because they can't sing like Ariana Grande. I wish I were a singer with the flexibility like she has. But your thing, though you consider a limitation, may be the thing that makes you special. Right. You know, and most people don't look at their art that way. They compare themselves. And that in comparison, it can be very important. It can also be extremely detrimental, as we know. But using those limitations as opportunities. That's a big part of it. One of the things I've, I've noticed about, especially in the past few years, I'm not sure why 
it stuck out to me just recently, but there are artists that are either amazing singers, you know, Ariana or Tori Kelly, or, or there are people that don't have great voices, but they're really unique. You know, it's like Bob Dylan. He's not a, he's not a great singer, so to speak, but he's very unique in what he does. So it, it's this niche thing that an, a singer has. It's either, you're, it's either one extreme or the other. If you're sort of in that middle ground, you have a less chance of sticking out because, you know, there's just so much greatness or so much quirkiness, maybe. Well, it's it's a practical example of jack, jack of all, all trades, trades master, of none. master of none. That is an example of that phenomenon. Right. You know, when you have a limitation as a singer, perhaps that breeds the strength of being a great storyteller right. or you have to rely on the emotion of the way you tell a story because you don't have that skill of voice in a traditional sense. Yeah. And the other way too, some of the best singers are horrible songwriters. They ha- they cheat everybody in the room into believing you just wrote a great song because their sa- the sound of their voice is wonderful. Right. You know, to where some of my favorite songwriters have very basic voices. I have a very basic voice, and I'm not calling myself a, a great songwriter, but the melodies I write better be good because I'm not going to be impressive with the way I, I sing them. Okay, so what are some day-to-day attributes of being artist development? Like, if you're working with an artist right now as and you're doing development with them, like, what do you specifically, what are you doing with them to get them up to where it is you want them to be to be able because you want eventually when you're developing you want to be able to present them to a label or management or something to get signed so they can go even further so how are you getting them up to that point i mean sometimes you're practicing getting yourself up to that point you know the you know some people artist development is masking uh, you have a very a pretty person you know that you're trying to make look marketable enough and so you as a producer um, you're getting better at doing that, uh, at doing that. But uh, let's pretend it's not that for, for a second. And I think it's just, it's so much. It's the music, making the music great. And then there are people who develop things from a whole career basis. Um, social media and Spotify and getting on playlists. There are people who do that really well for artists teaching them how to have a career and i think that's a giant part of it and so helping an artist figure out who they are like i said the important the important parts of their voice the things that make them unique but then who are you as a person you know um tasha my wife is an artist and she's also done a lot of voice coaching and personal coaching with people and she says you grow as a singer as you grow as a person you know grow as a person grow as a singer and I think that's a big, like, who are you? Artists sitting in front of me, what do you care about? You know, does what you care about and who you are match who you are musically? You know, that, that personal integration, I think, is a giant part of it. Are you believable? That's, a, that's why people trust the music they listen to and the stories that the people carry is because they're trustworthy. And if they're not, you have basically nothing. There's so much about artist development and working producing clients uh, and producing artists that is simply psychology I'm looking for inconsistencies in the message all day long you know how are you going to 
say you're a Christian artist and you want to make faith-based music, and yet that line feels pretty shallow. You know, mm-hmm. I'm looking for red flags that way. Like, is it believable? Is it trustworthy? Especially you're, if the label or the consumer, if there's no label, whatever, however you want to uh, treat this thing, is Walmart. They're this big mecca. Let's pretend they're still a big mecca. And you and the artist is the product. And you need to talk Walmart into picking up your product and selling it in their stores. This is no different than that. Mm-hmm. There's not some artistic bone of the label's body a lot of times. It's can I sell it? Do can people want it? it? And can I make money off of it? And you can't be delusional enough to think that there's not those economics going on on that side of the the Walmart conversation. Mm-hmm. So you have to be aware of that, and you have to be careful with your own artistic integrity and the things that you care about. If the things that you care about and the things that they care about have a have this concentric um, area in the middle where things meet, then it's potentially a really good relationship. But for me, I'm trying to develop the product, the artist, into something that is appealing and consistent enough to be a good investment for the the Walmart for the for the record label and that's why I'm looking for those inconsistencies in the artist so much when I do this is because there's so many people have to say yes for an artist to get signed so many people have to say yes for you to get enough Spotify playlist to get noticed Um, those inconsistencies are really important you very important so are you producing like doing demo tracks with them you're producing and writing with them getting because you got to present, they you got to present music of them to, you know, a label or management. So, are you, you know, recording demos with this person, and then are you like helping them get some shows, you know, around town? No, I'm not doing m- much of that anymore. Um, shows and things like that. That's kind of an area I'm not as passionate about. If you want to talk about my enthusiasm driving things, that's yep. just something I'm not all too excited but, uh, about. Just, just as an artist development person in general, not necessarily you, but someone who does that for a living and they're working with an artist, do, would you say, are they helping to get them some shows around town? Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I think if you are passionate about the music industry in the area of management or about production, I think all of that is artist development in some respect or another. Right. Um, it used to be where the labels would sign you to an artist development deal, where they weren't going to put you out, but they were going to do the things that many of us are doing. So as a producer, much of what you're doing, especially with independent artists, is helping them see through your eyes, having worked with many artists, um, developing their career and helping them see those things in themselves. If you are a manager that might be introducing them to a producer who's got some success and maybe you guys partner together to do it because there's not a lot of money in it up front there might not be a lot of money in it ever but there's definitely not a lot of money in it up front especially to the producer or manager who might take a cut of the artist's career in exchange for developing them instead of having them pay you to do it so Both of these scenarios might include producing a record, introducing them to a photographer, um, a bio writer, a social media content creator, doing some videos, like whatever it's going to take to present the artist the way that they need presented. And that might mean 
some label showcases. That might mean to an artist who's a truly great writer trying to introduce them to a publisher, you know, building a publisher relationship. Um, sometimes that means helping the artist build their career enough to prove to the labels that this is worth doing. It's, called, uh, it's an idea called social proofing, that other people have already proven that they like this. And so you can trust that if you decide to sign this, that it is worth doing because the masses already like it. That's why people will buy likes and social media followers and things like that and try to lie about mm -hmm. their social proofing, yeah. you know, which is not a worthwhile venture, I might add. Yeah. So it's all those kind of things. It's whatever it's going to take to make this an appealing thing. Everyone's selling something, but the artist is certainly selling something. And that thing might be noble. It might be a wonderful thing worth, worth buying, you know, worth presenting to the world, you know, with... Christian music or worship music and then there's a lot of artists that are selling a much more narcissistic self-serving thing and there's other narcissistic self-serving people that would love to make that the anthem for their life you know yeah. I'm not really into doing that okay that's good information all right let's talk about how you got into working with some of the big name artists and bands that America and the whole world knows I mean you've worked with Jack White of the White Stripes uh, the Jonas Brothers Dave Barnes, Mercy Me, Amy Grant, Mark Broussard. Like, how did you get into working with these? And is this all producing, or is this playing, or a little bit, a little bit of both? Uh, all the people listed on my website are a conglomeration of lots of different things that I've done. And I mentioned the jack of all trades and master of none. What is different about the music industry now is that you seem to have to be good at more than one thing sure do. To, to make a living for the masses. Yep. Um, for most of us, we're doing multiple things. If producing is a little light, my horn playing seems to be a little stronger. That's the entire point of this podcast. But you can't be average. Right. You've got to be good you at it. You have to be exceptional at, each at thing two that you do. or three things. Yep. You know, and maybe something you're average at fills in the gaps here and there. Mm-hmm. But I don't do the things I'm average at unless I love doing them, unless I want to get better at them. Right. So my career has consisted of producing, uh, songwriting, and then my horn playing and arranging. And that's a pretty unique, unique thing um, to talk about. And then there's this other one, like vocal editing, for bigger producers and bigger artists. So all of those things show up here and there. Um, vocal editing is something that gets shoved off to interns sometimes and that baffles me because it's like the most important sure the vocal is yeah. the most important thing on there and you're going to hand it to someone who's going to do this in a less than musical way and so uh, while it's not something i do very much anymore because i don't it's not something i love but i am quite good, good at, at yeah because i i tackle it from a musical standpoint and if i can hear an artifact if i can hear that editing working i did it wrong and i go back and fix it you know and so there's just a standard Pops there. Pops and clicks and things like that, you mean? Or yes, and even the way, like, a, um, if you over-tune something and over-move it, um, it gets this high-end sheen to it that's, right. that sounds really odd, that it's not technically wrong, right. but it's it not feels pleasing. Weird. Yeah. It, it feels weird. And so most vocal tuners simply put things perfectly in tune, mm -hmm. and that is also wrong. Right. You know, even in pop music, there's if there's no tension to release, you have no nothing musical worth listening to. And so that's, if you're into vocal editing or if you're a producer and you need to be an editor, you have to be an editor at some point and you better be good at it 
and you need to understand that concept of tension and release. So most of the people you just mentioned, the people that get me in the room with the biggest clients is my horn playing and my horn arranging. And um, I used to want to be like my favorite producers. I just want to be like that. Like Again, something I saw as a limitation. Man, why am I not as good at so-and-so at doing a pop rock track? Oh, because I'm not them. I have something unique to bring to the conversation, and that's my horn playing in this odd classical background. But what I've done with my horn playing is I've taken what I know of music production and modern producers, and I present something that is not only played by the best players in the world with a fantastic arrangement, but it I've done the research to find out how they recorded those horns in the 80s and 90s, and I present them with those techniques and with great mics in great rooms, which is so important for horns. And I present them in a way to the modern producer, this classic horn sound in a way that they can use. So I took my production knowledge and I brought it over to the horn thing. And so that's helped. So some of those credits are live, but a lot of them are me arranging horns on uh, records like Jonas Brothers. When I did that, that was me playing and arranging horns for them. Um, Russell Dickerson was that. Um, so how did you, you know, just real quick, how did you... Jack White was me uh, getting hired by him to play um, to play on some film and movie stuff with him. And also I've been a part of several projects he's produced. Okay, so how did you get in? How did he get to know who you are and want to bring you in to work on some projects? I ask that because somebody that wants to get into whether it be you know re- working in a studio or being a session player um, or producer or whatever it's like okay how do I get in touch with Jack White like why why would he come to me to use me in this capacity so you know how did he find you and want to use use you your consistency is just so important showing up every day being easy to work with doing a great job meeting this engineer, this producer, on this tiny thing that you did, who came up under this slightly more successful producer, mm-hmm. who, you know, and then maybe they got called to to be the editor on some other slightly bigger project and overheard a conversation that they know a horn player and did a great job. I mean, it. you just, I've heard it said that it takes a good three to five years to make a decent living in the, in the music industry anywhere. I heard this when I was in LA, oh, yeah. you know, and I've seen it true here. And, and now I'm next month, it'll be 10 years here. And to know that I'm known for certain things and on the list to be called, um, by this reputable producer or this artist for a, for a live thing, or, um, it just takes time. And it's very rarely, is it ever a, um, just a random call. Sure. Sometimes it is, but not very often. It's eventually you've you've built relationships with people over the years that are doing different things in the industry, and I, I talk about this all the time. I feel like every interview I have with somebody, we have this conversation that it all comes down to relationships. And Absolutely, it, it and really you does. being a wonderful person. We talked about a minute ago how an average singer might have become a better songwriter or um, or storyteller because they have this deficiency. Some people who have spent all their time on their musicianship suck at relationships. Right. And uh, there are way too many good people to call someone you don't like. Yeah. 
Yeah, you if, know. if you're not easy to get along with, it doesn't matter how talented you are. If you're not fun no to be around. No one's going to spend, you know, 24 hours a day with you on a tour bus. Yeah. You know, they're just not going to want to. So Jonas Brothers, um, I was on staff at Saddleback Church, and one of the guys there um, who would come around every now and then who was friends with my friends was a guy named Adam Watts. And Adam has produced all kinds of stuff for Disney. Uh, he developed Jeremy Camp, High School Musical, Jesse McCartney, all kinds of stuff. I just met so many people at a church that big that were wonderful and doing amazing things. And he kind of became a, a bit of a mentor. I really looked up to what he did. Um, and his production partner was Andy Dodd. And I was still in California, but Andy had moved here, and they had produced stuff for the Jonas Brothers when they were still kind of had their TV show and, and things. And um, right at the end, right before they broke up, he called me and said, hey, I've, I'm producing this Jonas Brothers track. Um, do you want to put some horns on this thing for me? Mm. And sure, and it was one of the very first things I had done a horn section and done that arranging for. I'd done it lots in college for like a section, but this can be recorded. And I had a chance to really, I did a great job, but it wasn't exactly what I had in my head as what the perfect horn section sounded like. And I realized, oh, there's something to this. And it actually is part of what set me on a journey of trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Not just a great player. I'm not just going to show up. How do I turn this thing into gold for whoever I'm, I'm working with? Jack White was my relationships with Denver and the Mile High Orchestra. Crazy. Uh, my friend Justin played trombone, and Justin went to college with an engineer at Belmont, and they ran in, in, into each other basically on the street corner in Nashville. And, hey, how you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. Hey, I've been working for uh, this thing. Hey, you play trombone, right? Yeah. Hey, yep. I have something for you could you be at this place at this time i can't tell you what it is can you be yeah that's fine can you get a couple horn players so he grabbed a couple horn players and showed up and it was jack white like that's just about literally how that went down okay and then the trumpet player who had done a few of those sessions was on tour and i got that call next and okay. got called by jack for the next year okay that's awesome it's crazy. It's a small world, right? Yeah. The, the music community is so small. You know, everybody knows everybody somehow. You know, it's the six degrees of Kevin Bacon aspect it, for, for music. And I, um, my favorite story in the music industry that, that's happened to me was, I mean, and this is all in these rooms with just open mics, everybody playing all at once, rehearsing it for an hour before, before we finally get to where Jack's really happy and ready to press record to, you know, to two inch tape. And we all go in the control room after we play this. And by the way, the horn players are just worn out. These guitar players have been, you know, playing for hours and don't realize that by the time we go to record, we're just exhausted. Our faces just hurt so bad. We get in and we're playing it down and Jack goes, whoa, what was that? And he, hey, roll that back. And he solos up my track and says, dude, that's awesome, you know? And it was like the best day of my life <laughs> up to that point to have someone I looked up to so much say something cool about my playing. And one th also when I talked about taking what I knew of production and bringing that into my horn playing, um, I also love guitar, you know, that, and my brother's a great electric guitar player. 
and that's what Jack is. And so I went in not trying to think like a trumpet player. I went in trying to think like a guitar, guitar player. player. I mean, if I had an opportunity to growl at something and like make something mean and nasty and, and do it in a way that was more of a guitar riff than a trumpet riff, I was thinking that way going in. How am I going to stand out and be exceptional at this in a way yeah. that other trumpet players would? That's cool. That's unique. That's a good, good aspect. And, you know, you're thinking on your toes because when you're in that situation with a big artist and there's a lot of money involved and lots of writing on the line for them to put out great music and you're thinking, what can I do? How can I make this stand out or, uh, you know, make it just super exceptional, you know, for them. And then that all of a sudden that puts you on their radar for years to come, you totally. know, because you're reliable, you've hung out with them, you got to know them, you've built a relationship with them and, you know, they trust you and you're an amazing player on top of it. And you've got to trust this stuff's going to come, you know, I know some wonderful people that when an opportunity comes in front of them, their eyes glaze over and they get real opportunistic and they're trying to find the opportunity to find the next best thing. And they get real people stiff arm that stuff. Like if you just look like you're trying to use people and, you know, trying to make the next connection and my gosh, that drives me nuts. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, when people, when it seems like people are trying to use me to get to the next thing, you know, and I don't call those people back. Yeah. You know, but a lot of people do it. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be very careful with that kind of thing in this in this business. Yeah, you got to be eager, you know, but you also got to let it come to you. And that's why I say you just got to show up and do a good job. Right. And know that it will come. And and again, with the relationship thing is wanting to serve someone else. Like how, you know, I want to know you. You know, you and I became friends. It's like it wasn't, you know, I didn't know any of these things about you, all the stuff you had done. And we just knew each other. Like We were serving in the capacity of playing on a worship team. But it was only that capacity, and we were serving each other and serving the church and, you know, and just built a friendship and a trust with each other so that we can sit and have this conversation now. That's an interesting thing worth talking about, maybe, is you always are serving people. And maybe for a time, serving people means going way, uh, way far and above their expectations. Like, it always does. Never has it not been that I'm not exceeding expectations. But long gone are the days of you hired me to do such and such, and I ended up doing this other thing that should be worth $500 to you, uh, but instead I just did it to you for free. You know, that breaks down the whole music community when the new trumpet player comes in and will do a track for a big name producer. And that track should be worth 300 bucks, and they offer to do it for 50 You know, that's also not how you do it, you know. And it's it's a really hard balance to know how to do, but you just can't come in and undercut the whole thing, you know. But you can come in and do something. You're saying, a, you're saying if you know something's worth 300 bucks, don't come in and, and offer it for 50 Is that no, what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Or offer it for free. Right. Um, number one, it's just... I've never gotten an opportunity when I was young by saying, hey, I'll come. I'd love to work with you sometime. I'll even come do it for free. I'll come do a free track. No one's ever hired me by saying that. Never. Um, Because I just showed that I was worth free. Right. Unfortunately. And, you know, I'll have mixers that um, also hungry. They want to do something. So I'll mix a song for you for 100 bucks. I don't need a $100 mix. I need an $800 mix. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and if you're offering to do it for 100, you're probably not worth the 800 I need this to be done at. Yeah. You know, and I hate that. You know, I might call I might call that person to do hey, I need a rough mix done on this track. It's really important if you can do a good job. You said you would do this for for 100 bucks. I can I can do that. But it's not a great big opportunity, but that is worth it. Yeah. You know, and I they and then they do have an opportunity to do what I asked them to do and blow it out of the water. Mm-hmm. Do a crazy good job. You know. And that's the thing. I want to come do a great job at what I was hired to do. But I'm also not going to devalue myself by charging way less than it should. It's it's a weird balance like cuz it's not like an a, what I'm saying is not necessarily an absolute thing, you know. Right, cuz everybody charges something different depending on who they are and what they've done, the success they may or may not have had. But also, like we're talking about, you're trying to build a career, you know, and you're trying to get opportunities that you may not have otherwise. So if you reach out to somebody, they say, you know, I'll do this for a hundred bucks. You're like, I don't need that. I need 800 bucks, but I need this. I need some rough mix, whatever. Let's start there and giving that person an opportunity, an opportunity to do that. And then if they blow it out of the water, did a great job, then that's going to give them a new opportunity. You're like, okay, I can trust you with that. Let's, let's just kind of build from there and go forward. And then, I mean, that's a lot of, a lot of careers are built that way. Yeah. And even then it was, it wasn't that this person was begging this hypothetical person. Um, it's that this is what I charge, right? I charge this. I'm willing to be flexible. Yep. I would love a chance to. Re- There's a way to honor the person you're in front of instead of begging. Yep. Hey, I charge five hundred dollars for a five hundred dollars for a mix, but I really love your work. Like I would love a chance to work with you. And so, if five hundred dollars were weren't to work for you, let me know. I'd I'd love a chance to figure it out. Sure. You know, there's a. This all comes down to just handling your business, mm-hmm. you know, figuring out how to grow it. Because most people I know that go offering way less than they should never get out of it. Right, because yeah. you've, you've said this is what I'm worth. And so people are, are going to only come to you because they think that's what you're worth. You know, if you go, I'm worth 200 bucks now, and I'll do that. And then all of a sudden you're like, no, I'm worth 800 bucks now. Like, it's, it's, that's a hard, that's a big leap. To get to. And develop a strategy and a concept behind how you're going to offer your rates to people and decide how you're, how that's a very intentional decision. My goal is to be worth X amount by this time because that's what so-and-so gets. And I believe that I am as good as they are. And how do you find that out? How is some, someone who wants to, to do whatever it is as a producer, or let's make it more specific. Let's say someone who wants to do editing. Okay. Um, how would you say, this is what I'm worth? Editing's a hard one. I'll, let me go or, to or like... Pick um, one. Yeah, you pick uh, one. Being a horn player. Okay. Uh, horn player, number one, there is the musician's union. And that's an always... If you're not going to join the union, I would recommend everybody pick up the phone and go give them a call and say, um, hey, can I take somebody out to lunch? I'd love to lo- learn the inner workings of the more corporate side of the music industry. Mm-hmm. Hey, what are the rates for uh, for these different sessions? And they'll say, well, there's low budget sessions, uh, there's master scale sessions, and all those car, um, you can find all that on the website, but... So the Nashville... Uh, yeah, local AFM. Yeah. Um, many cities have every them. Every big city is going to have the music city is going to have one. Yeah, so you can find out in those instances, this is what it's worth. And then... Because they have rates that tell you 
for different ty different scale jobs. This is what so and so pays for this type of instrument, and for how long and whatever. Yeah. So for instance, low budget scale, there's a you know certain amount of money that it pays, and it's a three hour session at minimum. They can only put three songs on that three hour session, or else if they go over, there's a certain rate. And so, just on a practical level, that could be a way to find out kind of what those things are worth you also maybe they'll call up some manager do your research you know you can be as hungry and as um you can be as hungry as you want behind the scenes you know on your computer looking around for who manages so and so and mm -hmm. who hires this and who produced that and google is your friend i will give you oh sweet listeners something I've said on many, many occasions that has gotten me several coffees. Um, hey, my name's Keith. I love what you do. I've been a fan of such and such for a long time. I just moved to town or I'm going to be in town this day. I would love to take you to coffee. Mm -hmm. I promise you, I don't want to show you my work. I don't want to ask for an internship. I just want to say thanks for making some stuff that I really enjoy, and maybe I would learn something from you in the process. Yeah. I've gotten more opportunities to meet people that I respect and love by doing that and then actually following through on it. Yeah. I don't play the music. I don't send them a thing and say, man, if you ever have an opportunity, I'd love to have it. No, you just honor them and thank them for their work and then just know that it comes around sometimes. Yeah. And again, you're just, you're building a relationship with someone, but Get, real and relationships, know, yeah, and getting to know them, you know, and just because just because you love who they are and what they do and respect them, and because if they see that, that they want to be known for who they are, right, as opposed to what can what, what can, can I you do, do for, me? for yeah what, or what yeah what can you do this, for me yeah it's not and that's some some people are saying what can I do for you and they're actually saying what can you do for right. me and. And people whether know you can that. Art, yeah, whether or not you can articulate it or not, people know when they're getting fed a line and when they're being lied to and when people are a danger. We have that innate in us to sense danger. Mm -hmm. And many of you out there, many of me at times, have been a very threatening presence, you know, uh, accidentally. You know, and so you just have to gut check yourself on that all the time and say, no, I really am going to serve today i really am just going to honor you and really need nothing from it yeah you know and you know it comes around matt bronlewy is a producer in town and i met matt that way i came to nashville and i loved plum when i was in high school i thought she who i thought was a band at the time man that she made such great records and again i didn't even know what, know what a producer was when I was in high school and I was online one day in college and up popped this Joy Williams record, Genesis. Oh, yeah. And it said that Matt Bronley produced it. And so I went and looked up Matt Bronley and found out he produced all that plum stuff. And he had a blog and down at the bottom of the blog was Matt's email address. And so I sent him an email and I literally said exactly what I just said to you. He mm -hmm. said, sure. Yeah. And so I set up a seven day trip to Nashville. The only person I had set up to come talk to was Matt and he sat at a Waffle House with me for three and a half hours and told me all kinds of gold nuggets that I've kept he said spend the money on a great vocal mic you know if you get the vocal right you can make a whole lot of mistakes and and the artist will come back because you made them sound great mm -hmm. things like that <laughs> you know sure. that you know 
it, it's been really fun. That's cool. Uh, okay, I want to hit two things. And so you've worked in TV and film, and you've gotten to make music for that kind of stuff, because that's one of the things that I do as well, is uh, writing music for TV, film projects. And you've had some really good opportunities with that kind of thing. So talk to me a little bit about that, how you got into that, um, and some of the projects you've been able to work on doing those. Well, you know, um, this is an area that I would love to get more enthusiastic about and really figure out because I really haven't. I have a handful of friends that are really successful at film and TV trailers and, and things. And, um, and I think I could do that. You know, I'll even let you into my thought process, kind of all this. Like, I think I'm good enough to, to, to do some of the things that are done and do it my own way. Um, oh, I know you are. Um, but my film and TV opportunities have really been through being a part of other projects that someone else on that team had a relationship with. Um, I had a song placed on Degrassi High or whatever that show was, and that was a band that I produced and a song I wrote um, that ended up on that show. I ended up with a song on a Sobe commercial, and then I was on the Lone Ranger soundtrack that actually I did for Jack, the Johnny Depp movie. Yeah. Correct. Mm -hmm. yeah. For Jack White and Hans Zimmer did the score on that. So I'm technically on a Hans on Zimmer a score. Hans Zimmer score. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, um, which is pretty cool. That's, that's um, huge. And then through being a session player in town, I got called to play on the soundtrack for the Jersey Boys. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I, I got to say, though, though I've had some of those opportunities, none of them are relationships that I had. They were just me being in the right place at the right time or kept showing up and being a great trumpet player, and therefore I got called for for this or that. Yeah, well, we need to do some music together for some TV and film stuff, so that'd be awesome. we'll, we'll make those things happen. Uh, okay, last main thing that I want to talk about is who you work for now. You play trumpet as well as like percussion and some different things for Toby Mac, mm -hmm. who is one of the biggest Christian music artists for the past 25, 30 years or so, uh, between DC Talk and, and him as a solo artist. And how did you, I know some some of the details, I think, but just for the listeners knowing, how did you get into working with, with Toby? This is more of kind of drilling home the same point. I kept showing up. I'd been called to... Some of this is still those Denver and the Mile High Orchestra contacts. Some of those musicians had been had played on Toby's record a couple records ago, and got called again. Craig Swift was the guy who got called for that. Craig's a wonderful saxophone player, um, so he called me to play on the song "Move" on the "This Is Not a Test" record. Craig called you, or Toby called you? Craig called, called me. you. So, the producer or Toby called Craig. I don't know how that exactly worked. And Craig called me. Okay. Just to play trumpet. Sure. And so that was the first time I met Toby. Played the song with David Garcia producing. It turned out great. And so we got called. Toby loves horns. And so Craig got called again for the next song. And Craig had moved to Atlanta to be on staff of the church. Mm. And so Craig said, you should call Keith. He's a great he contracts sessions and, and writes horn charts, and you should call him. So I got a call directly about uh, contracting the next sessions and pulling in, pulling in the players. So I pulled in 
the same players um, that had been called before. Again, kind of kind of honoring, you know. There's there's a little bit of this is the way it works kind of thing with with horn players in a in a, not a detrimental way, but um, called them for that, and then got called for a couple more sessions, and then Toby said called me and said, hey, I've got this song, feel it. That it actually doesn't need us to come. So what we had been doing, we had just been showing up, and maybe they had a, a horn idea that had been. They came up came up with a software instrument. They just wanted us to play it down. In the room um, with no charts, but he said, "Hey, I think this song actually needs an arrangement. I, someone needs to come up with these parts ahead of time because I I have a vision for what it could be." He said, "The last time I did an arrangement, uh, I didn't like it. So you just got to know, like." Last time I hired someone to do an arrangement ahead of time, I wasn't into it. So I, in my studio, wrote this arrangement to feel it and mocked it up. I just played it with my trumpet uh, in my studio and sent it to him. He's like, I love this. And so we showed up. It was a pretty difficult horn arrangement. So I called some of like the first call guys in town, like the guys who get called first for all the corporate work. And just... You know, like Jeff Coffin, who plays with Dave Matthews Band, was the saxophone player uh, cool. on that session and played all the sax solos at the end of Feel It. And just did a, I, I did a really good job. I really came through. I was really proud of the work that I did. So Toby started saying, hey, you know, we might need someone. Do you play any other instruments? And I said, yeah, I played drums and guitar and, and, and keys. And Okay. I thought I kind of thought he was just being kind, you know, and a couple weeks later, I ran into him with his management at another studio I was working with. They were sitting there lobby, and he 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 says to Dan and Lori, he said, "Hey, this is Keith. This is the guy I was talking about, maybe coming out with us." And I went, "I think he's actually kind of serious <laughs> about this." And so, turned out they they did need somebody, and they hired me. And he hired me to play. I'm his utility guy, so trumpet I play 25% of, but so guitar and keys and percussion and trumpet. He hired me without having heard me play any of that other stuff. Oh, wow. And I told him... Like, That's unheard of. Yeah. I told him a year ago, I said, you know you'd hired me without hearing me play any of these other, other instruments than tr- other, other than, than trumpet. trumpet. He said, you said you were good at it. You know? But you'd build trust. Yeah. And, you know, I will say, like going back to auditioning musicians at Fellowship Bible Church, you can tell... Of course. You can tell when someone has an aptitude, when they're talking the language in a way that's not hyped up, but comes from a place of experience, or they have, you you realize they've done, they've had this musical experience before, and they're not throwing you a line, you can actually kind of tell, you know, and so though I auditioned most people at Fellowship every now and then, and maybe it felt kind of exciting or Russian roulette, I would put somebody up on the team just to see how they do, mm-hmm. you know, or if it was like a second guitar spot, you know, if they don't do a good job, it's not going to it's not going to kill the whole thing, <laughs> sure. you know, yeah. but, um, but yeah, so I've been with him for four years now and it's been awesome and a masterclass on music industry and on songwriting and picking singles and on treating people well. Oh my gosh. He's just the best dude. You know, I was the first new musician in 12 years. Everyone else had been with him for 12 years mm-hmm. or longer. And now mostly 20 years, there's a few, people newer than I have than than I am in the band but it's just a joy it's a really good experience and talk about showing up and proving that he's got a standard of excellence for what he does 
and just great instincts. Talk about that gut level, how you make decisions. Mm-hmm. I watch him gut level make decisions because it feels like the right thing, or he can imagine that if I feel this thing about this song, other people are going to feel it too. You right. can't make emotional decisions with your head, right. you know, um, and you also can't imagine. You can try to imagine whether other people are going to feel about it, but the only way you can imagine it is if you feel it yourself. Sure. And I see him make those kinds of decisions over and over again, and it's really easy to work with a guy who's that good and that kind of the people that he leads. Yeah. One of the things about Toby that I respect is that he is not only extremely creative, but he's also got great business sense as well. And for years, you know, since the beginning of DC Talk, you know, um, I know it's like 1987, 88, I think, when they first kind of launched that, um, you know, he's always been a great business person. And I think the most successful people in the industry that are creative also have a business side as well. They have to, you have to understand both sides of it, especially especially if you're a creative person. If you're you have artist, to run the business of your career. Right. Because nobody else is going to do it for you as well as you're going to do it. Nobody's got the passion that you have for your own career. Even if you are signed and you got management, all these types of things, which is all important. You have to, you have to run your business. You have to be an artist. Whatever you're going to do, you have to exist understanding the realities of what you're doing. And too many musicians operate under the ideals that they have. I wish it were this way, or if I do this, I can change it into this, you know, uh, and, and maybe you can, but you can't if you're not telling yourself the truth about the way that it actually is. And that understands that there's realities about working in the Christian music industry and, um, there's realities about the way Christian radio is the way that it is. You might not like it. You may say that it's um, not as creative as other musical genres, whatever people may say about it. Um, but the truth is that people show up to listen to Christian radio when their life is falling apart. Yep. That's why those songs have the message, kind of messages they have. And that's why some songs can be successful that aren't maybe as musically creative or... Uh, as as some other because it doesn't exist first on a creative level it first exists on a ministry level you know and that's just an example and um and when the ministry part of christian music is in place when the message is strong and really does connect you can be as creative or as musically excellent as you want but the only non-negotiable is the message part Right. And and but that's just an example of whatever the reality is in whatever musical genre you you have. Why is stop getting cranky that your musical genre is the way that it is? Ask yourself why it is the way it is. You know, or I wish X or Y about being. You know, why am I being asked always as a vocal editor to make things more in tune than I think they need to be? You know, well, if the musical genre you're tuning for is more of a pop genre, things are going to be more tightly tuned. If you're tuning, let's say, Chris Stapleton, you know, there's more leeway in there because the whole, you know, I just watch people complain and complain because they have these ideals about the way they wish it were. 
And unfortunately, it is the way that it is. And the way that a guy like Toby is so successful is that he knows the realm of the business that he's working in. He knows how to be successful that way. And he does it with a lot of ethics and a lot of integrity. You know, yeah. so just tell yourself the truth. Get the lay of the land about why, why whatever it is you're talking about is the way it is. And decide if you want to change it, then change it. But sure. tell yourself the truth about it. Cool. All right, last thing. What is some advice that you would give to, to somebody who's getting into music or, or actively working at trying to do this for a living? Um, we've talked, gosh, we've talked about a lot of things. Um, you know, producing, uh, being a session player, you know, editing, artist development, you know, film and TV. You know, I know it's a, a broad range of, of topics we've been over today, but what are some like practical advice that you would give to somebody who's wanting to get into any of these facets of the industry so that they can have some, some steps to, to move forward that they're like, sometimes we hit this glass ceiling or hitting a brick wall. It's like, I just can't get past this. Like I've got, I've got the talent I've got, I'm doing everything. I feel like I'm doing everything right. But then there's just this barrier that I can't quite get past that. Like, how do you get past certain barriers, so to speak? Sure. This is interesting. Most people are not brave enough to go ask someone they trust what they're doing wrong. You know, that's a good point, you know, or how they come across. Hey, how do you experience me as a person? Ooh, that's a, that's a hard one to ask <laughs> yeah. in, in a musical setting. Do you see me as easy to work with? Am I, am I showing up doing a good enough job? Like if you trusted friend or mentor, if you were to want me to see one thing about my musicianship or the way that I interact with people that I could get stronger at something that is necessary. Some things that aren't strong don't need to be strong. It's worth, sometimes it's worth putting the effort into your strengths. But sometimes people have a weakness that truly does need to get stronger in order for you to be successful. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that takes outside help. And most people are not willing to ask for that outside help. They just put their head down and they chug along. And there's times for that too. But um, get advice and be, be willing to humbly receive good advice. The other thing I might say is not everyone's supposed to do this. Or not everyone's supposed to do this the way that they thought. There's a lot of people that are managers or publicists that thought they moved to Nashville to be an artist, you know, or there's a lot of people who thought they wanted to be an artist that now they're a session singer um, because, you know, for whatever reason, like I was so just excited about music. And I think the reason I ended up with a lot of things that I do is I was willing to follow the path that kind of opened up. And I think had some, uh, things started to open up in a path that I wasn't excited or enthusiastic about, maybe that would have been a sign that it was time to go do something else, non-musical. But I didn't get that lack of affirmation. But I, I love music, and there is something special about it. Uh, but I'm not willing to go so far as to say that it's worth sacrificing taking care of my family oh, of course not. you know but some people do like some people music is so important and so valuable that i have to and it doesn't matter what i have to do in life or how many divorces that i have i read david foster's book and the things that he bragged about as what he was willing to sacrifice in his life to make it for the sake of music broke my heart it is a joy and it brings joy but so does a lot of other things and so 
I'm really excited for the people that love it. If you don't love it, do something else. Sure. You know, but if you do, you know, just stay open to where the path kind of takes you and let your enthusiasm for, for it lead you. And some people need to drop out of music school and get a business degree so that they can do music. Right. You know, it, there's, there's not one answer to it, but, um, you know, it can be a really exciting thing to do. And there is room in the music industry for people who are willing to do it. But again, tell yourself the reality of the story. The music business is not as strong as it was for many people, you know, and so what I didn't exist in the time of CDs and, and records. And so that's not my reality. So I can hang around people that are a couple decades older than me and listen to them gripe and complain about that is not the way it was anymore, but so <laughs> like, you know, right. uh, so anyway, you gotta, you gotta, live in the moment that we're in and, yeah. and make the best of what, what we have. Yeah. It's not the nineties anymore when music was at the pinnacle, uh, you know, of success of what people were experiencing that just doesn't exist any longer. And it was bloated. Yeah. You could make a 14 song CD and have one or two great songs on it. And people were forced to buy 12 or 14 songs. You had to get the song you wanted to listen to. You had to buy a whole record. That's that's blo- that's a bloated market by you know ninety percent. You know there was more music in the music industry than there maybe should have been because of the way we had to physically you know ingest music. But it wasn't always that way. It used to be one single with a B side, you yeah. know, and that's how we ingested it. You know, and now we ingest it through digital things, and you know, things are working themselves out. Everything's cyclical, and there's economics to it, and it's growing. It certainly is growing. Sure. Well, man, I want to thank you for coming on and sharing all of this wonderful information and expertise. And uh, I'm super grateful for you and for our friendship over the years and all the great things that you're getting to do, you know, producing and playing with Toby and writing and just, you're just always busy. And I love it. I love that you're, you are successful in this industry and you are what this podcast is about. You can mm-hmm. make a living in the music industry and it's for, you know, it's geared mainly for people that are doing multiple streams of income or looking totally. to do that, you know, and, and you've done that and I've done that. And, uh, the majority of us in the, in the business have to do multiple things because you can't just do one thing anymore as a rule, Yeah, you know, so. And I've loved it. I really have. And to your listeners that are in that spot, Enjoy it. There's something really charming and beautiful about the season of trying to figure it out and wondering if you're a person of faith, wondering if God's going to come through, you know, and, and wondering what tomorrow's going to look like. That's a, it's a, I look back with a lot of fondness of that time in my life of two, when I was just getting started out and two, like hit me up on social media or whatever, like people were gracious to me and I try to be really gracious to other people. So I'm happy sure. to hear, how, from, hear from your listeners. Yeah. How can people can find you so they can find out what you're doing or more about your music or get in touch with you if you want them to. Yeah. Instagram's pretty easy one. Uh, producer Keith one, uh, Facebook can be, I don't have a lot of room to accept a ton of friends that I don't know. Uh, and sometimes it seems like messages get missed when you're not friends with somebody on Facebook, but uh, my website, KeithEverettSmith.com, has my email, and you're welcome to email me, and I'm, I'm glad to help anybody I can. So what's one song on a Toby album that you're playing on that you would say 
go check out this song that I've played on if people want to hear hear your work. Everything. The song Everything? Mm-hmm. Yep, it's a one of the more recent singles, and it was... It was a lot of fun to do, and I'm really proud of the way the horn sounded. And Serban mixed it, who mixes all kinds of big records. What yeah. album is that on? It's on the Elements record. Okay, awesome. Again, thank you so much. It's great hanging out with you, and I Absolutely. love you, buddy. Absolutely. Love you, too. All right, buddy. See ya. Thank you guys for joining us again today. I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Keith. What a fun, cool guy to be around. So talented. So knowledgeable. Be sure to check him out on tour with Toby Mac and also look him up online to see where you could find his music and all the different projects he has been a part of. Don't forget, Edenbrook Productions is here to help if we can give you information and consulting services via phone call, Skype, or FaceTime to show you ways that you can make a living in the music industry. 